Welcome to the Elite Podcast Network, your number one source for all things sports. Follow us on Twitter at Elite Podcast Net. Use the hashtag EPN Era and join the revolution now. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk By The Cooler. We are back on the air after a uh, brief hiatus. This is your host, Matt, here, along with True God Immortal. We got uh, quite a few things to get to tonight. I'm going to be not such a long show, but there's some things we're going to get to. We're going to touch on the, uh, the, the beginning of the MLB season, I guess, and I guess we'll touch that. Even though it's the beginning of the season, we you know that's something we're going to touch on. We're going to touch on uh, some of these NBA injuries, especially a significant one that uh, that got to Boston. As well as we're going to talk some wrestling. WrestleMania weekend is is uh, is upon us. WrestleMania is upon us this Sunday, so we're going to go ahead and get into that. But uh, true, how are you doing tonight? Uh, can't complain too much for the most part, you know. And uh, even if I wanted to complain, nobody gives a damn to listen. So I'm doing all right. <laughs> uh, kind of, kind of excited, man. You know, playoffs coming up in the NBA. WrestleMania is coming up. I'm not, I'm not extremely excited about WrestleMania itself, but I am very excited about uh one match in particular. Um, the match I think that should be the main event. So I'm like more and more excited. As, Time goes on, so uh, you know. So I'm doing all right. How about yourself, well, Matt? I'm doing pretty good. It's uh, it's raining where I'm at right now. Just started raining actually, so there's that. I'm sorry, um, to, sorry to hear you're doing you okay. Few, I'm hoping you're doing terrible. But all right, this guy. <laughs> but um. No, it, it go, doing pretty good for the most part. So I'm over here just uh, reading the timeline and stuff. But let's go ahead and let's get into it. Like I said, uh, opening day, and we're going to make this short with baseball because it's opening day, opening week, actually. Uh, opening day was last week, uh, and this is the yep. opening week for MLB baseball. Um, this is typically, and I always say opening week and opening day is typically in any sport, the most annoying thing because we forget as, as journalists, as fans, we forget that it's a long season, that the season is, is pretty long. And so a lot of us tend to, um, how can I put it? A lot of us tend to get into a lot of hot takes. We tend to overreact when things start going slow or when things start going good. Um, it's the beauty of sports, isn't it? It, it is the beauty of sports. Uh, 
typically we have the Astros who are right now six and one, I believe, or seven and one, but they're off to their best start since 1988. Ironically, that was when the Dodgers last won their World Series. However, people know there's 162 games in baseball. So while, yes, every game counts in baseball, at the same time, you're, these are teams who, if they get off to a slow start, they tend to pick it up at a certain time. Uh, the Dodgers, who were World Series runner-ups last season, they are two and five right now, and everybody seems to be panicking about Kershaw. Kershaw giving up three earned runs. Um, he's giving up three earned runs, and Jansen has blown, I believe, two saves. Jansen have blown two saves in this short season. Dodgers offense is nowhere to be found. Um, I would touch on this. I it, A lot of people are saying, you know, is it something to panic about? I had this sneaky feeling that the Dodgers would somewhat struggle. They wouldn't be the team they were last season. They're not going to be the team they were last season. And I say that because of the lack of moves to improve the team. I felt the Dodgers uh, either are having a World Series hangover or the fact that this is what happens when you have a front office that is lived and died by the money ball situation, by the money ball game, and they do little to nothing because of their debt. And they and I feel like that's going to bite the Dodgers. I feel like that this could be a season where the Dodgers either don't win the NL West, which I could care less as long as they get in the playoffs, or this could be the season that they just ultimately miss the playoffs. Now, do I will that happen? I doubt it. I doubt the Dodgers will ultimately miss the playoffs as a whole. Um, I do feel... There are, I do feel, while teams like the Giants and the um, and Colorado ended up getting better, I felt as if they improved their teams, they did things to improve their teams. The Dodgers did little to improve their team by shredding salary and all this other stuff. So that's one thing. But, again... Oh, oh, and the Angels are off to a 6-2 and two start. Uh, uh, Otani, who is the Japanese Babe Ruth, as what people are calling it, because he is a two-way player. He is a pitcher, and he can he's a DH. Has hit two home runs in his uh, last two games. Looking pretty good. He's been performing pretty well. So, and he's been pitching pretty well, too. So, um, that's pretty pretty impressive to see and everything, but true. I know there's something you wanted to get off your chest about opening day, about, about a particular team, actually. So, you know, man, so far I just haven't been impressed with the Orioles. Now, if people know me, they know I'm not a uh, huge fan of the Orioles. Um, in general, like, you know, but I think starting off, I think they're two and five so far. And that's just, I think that's just unacceptable for a team that, in my opinion, has an enormous amount of talent. Um, I think they won today against the Yankees. Um, 
but they just got a lot. I think they have a lot of talent, and just very uh, disheartening to me to see a team that does have the talent that they have kind of fall into this, uh, you know, this early season rut. They can always turn it around. That's the thing about having such a long season is that all it takes is, you know, one series to get, you know, get that three-game momentum going, and then you can, you know, knock off a large amount of wins or uh, in a row in succession. And I think that could possibly happen for the Orioles. And I'm just disappointed, you know. I'm just very disappointed. And once again, I am not the biggest fan uh, of the Orioles, personally. You know, I'm like the, not the biggest fan of them, and, you know, I don't follow them in the same way that, uh, you know, I guess, I guess a lot of a lot of people that live here do. But um, after kind of watching them uh, against the Twins, uh, I want to say that was opening day uh, against the Twins, and I was I was actually uh, actually down there at opening day, um, just kind of taking part in some of the festivities and stuff like that, and then seeing them call there, you know, get a win on opening day. Uh, take a loss and then take you know two back to back brutal losses. I think I was at um, I think I was at the DC uh, the awesome con in DC, and you know we were just kind of keeping up with the scores and everybody's like yo the Twins are like whooping the Orioles ass, uh, and that's because I, everybody I was with out at awesome con were from Baltimore. But um, it's it, it's rough, man. It's to me it's just rough seeing a team that just has so much potential and so much. Uh, you know, talent start out start out so bad. Granted, I guess it does make a difference when your first opponents are uh, a Minnesota Twins team that is not horrible, not bad, I guess. Uh, but you're also going against the defending champions in your second series, uh, and you're on the road. So, I mean, I think that does make a difference. Maybe you know, going out against the Astros, they got destroyed. Um, you know, one to six, I think six to ten, and I want to say the last game was close, maybe like three two or something like that. But starting off with a win against the Yankees, that's a that's a pretty good sign. And if they can keep that going tomorrow and uh, Saturday, and I think I think Sunday, I think there's like I think this is a four uh, four gamer. But um, yeah, I, I'm just not impressed with what I've seen so far from the Orioles, and I'm not the biggest like the baseball fan, so I won't follow it as close, but, you know, there's always a point in time where I do pay more attention, and it, that usually happens around the, uh, the either the beginning of the season or the playoff time. So it's a long season, you know, 160-plus games or 150-plus uh, now left. So they could turn it around, but, you know, I just think the Orioles, uh, they got to find that motivation to keep keep pushing and I guess starting out against, you know, your first three opponents being the Astros, Yankees, uh, you know, and the Twins, not ideal, you know, wasn't, I guess it wasn't ideal beginning. So, um, otherwise, though, I don't have too much to say about baseball. I haven't been following uh, too much. Um, I plan to go to a Yankees game this season, uh, maybe a Washington Nationals game, and, pro- and probably a couple of, uh, uh, Orioles games, so I will be active in the baseball community uh, this uh, this year. If if I end up going to LA like I expect, at some point in the summer, I will also be attending a Dodgers game and uh, relentlessly trolling Matt while I'm at the Dodgers game. So 
Yeah, that's all yeah, I got to say about about that. Yeah, I like I said, this see it's early in the season, so I mean we um we'll we'll see what happens. We'll be following closely. I I I will say though, a lot of people gotta control the hot takes. Look, it's a long season, people. Anything can happen in baseball. But no need to really go, Oh my god, the world's coming to an end. Actually, no, it isn't. The season just started. Give it time. With that being said, and it's funny because I'm playing MLB The Show right now, too. But with that being said, as we move forward, we'll, we'll go ahead. We'll move forward with uh, in the sports world. We have breaking news, actually, today from the UFC. And it was something I've been following most of the day, but... Um, Conor McGregor turned himself in the NYPD after he, um, how can I put it, damaged the bus or attacked the bus and I guess ended up injuring somebody where they are not fighting this weekend. Mm. So, yeah, it, it, it's, yeah on, it's on social media. I don't know if you saw it, true or not. I did see it. I did. I actually did. Um, not really. Uh, I really. Sh- I didn't really pay that much attention to it, to be honest. So I don't know exactly what happened. But I definitely wasn't. Uh, I definitely was. I definitely was shocked. I was not aware. You know. I uh, was not aware of this until, like, much later after everybody else found out. And I was just kind of like, confused. I'm like, man, what the hell is going on? Like, is, is this, is this you know, is Connor like, never going uh, to, you know, to fight in UFC again? I mean, he probably will. But it's like, you know, like, what is this? Is this all, you know, is there a purpose to this? Or is it just, I, like, I don't know the details in full, so I can't really say, like, this is why this happened, or you know, this is why this didn't happen. But I was something I don't know something. Yeah, it's just a confusing situation. I was shocked by it because you're sit. I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, what the heck happened? Like, what caused him to do this? I don't know the whole story. Wasn't paying attention to the whole. Story. Sure, I will find out sometime soon. But it was wild. I was just sitting there. I was like, what happened? What led up to all of this? But that's, uh, as I always say, that's not, that's something I guess I'll find out. But we do know he turned himself into NYPD. Um, what's his face? Uh, Dana White said that there was a warrant for his arrest earlier and that McGregor would either turn himself in or he'd get arrested for something. But he turned himself in, so that ended up happening. Um, yeah, he didn't really have a choice. He he had to turn himself it, in in this case, you know what I mean? So He, he really did. Like, he really didn't have a choice. He he really didn't have a choice. It was, it was either turn yourself in, turn yourself in, or just let them search for you and stuff. Because he couldn't go anywhere. It's not like you can go anywhere. Yeah, it's so like, you, go? you know, 
Yeah, I mean it is what it is, I guess, right? It could be worse, but um, that yeah, was, you know. that was my whole thing. I'm like, where is he gonna go? Like, it's not like he can really go he's anywhere going like that. Nowhere, nowhere. <laughs> it was going nowhere. I think I, I kind of think that's the funny. That's the funniest thing about it to me was is that like it was talking about it and he's got to himself, and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, he's not gonna, he's not gonna go anywhere. He's not gonna run. Like Conor McGregor, you're worth you know, upwards of $100 million at this point, you're not going to, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're not going to be, uh, you know, you're not going to go on the run from the police or whatever, stuff like that. You're going to go, turn yourself in, get everything cleared up, move on. Yeah. Pretty much what I think is going to happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't think this is going to lead to anything like like oh my God, Conor McGregor is gonna have to serve time in jail. Like it's probably not gonna turn anything. He'll, uh, you know, get it taken care of, get it squared away, pay off some stuff, and then uh, you know, that's it. Like I heard he's gonna be charged with assault, but that's not like that doesn't probably for somebody like this. Uh, you know, somebody like you know him, it just will result in something very minor. Oh yeah, Probably. I agree. It it will, it will. It's not like they're gonna go. I, I, I'm sure it, it's something. It's a, I know he's not gonna be fighting in UFC. I I I, I know that. No, 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 definitely. No, definitely. Yeah. Not. I don't. I don't see that happening at all. No. So which in a way, be... which in a way is a good thing. That's a good thing for us. Uh, I say it's, it's it's fans and people who watch UFC. Like it's probably a good thing because I don't think at this point Connor is. I don't think he's focused on fighting. So in essence, that might be a. You know what I mean like that might be a, you know a better uh, thing for us. Like if he's not focused on, you know, uh, going out there and doing what he has to do in the. In the uh, no, in the UFC, he, he's focused on no doing. Point. He's focused on doing other things. Per yeah, se. like I, I'll I'll say yeah, this: he's focused on doing other things. R is is beyond me, but he's focused on doing other things. Do I care? No, he wants to do other things. Let, Let him, him go and do some other things. Let him go and do other things. I think it's something the UFC can. The UFC will not lose sleep over over something like that. So, absolutely, that's not. what he want to do. That's what. Yeah, because it's like at this point, if that's what it is, then I mean, like, he's a big draw. But I think there, there was a bit of a. Uh, mystique and allure that was lost when he took that fight with Floyd, to me at least. That's how I saw it. I felt like, you know, his mystique and, and a lot of the uh, the controversy, so to speak, that surrounds him as a, uh, you know, as a fighter, it almost felt like you lose that a little bit. Truthfully, just being, being honest, I think you lose a little bit of that. And the reason why you lose a little bit of that is because you went out of your way to to step into an arena that's really not your expertise, and then you lost. And then you lost kind of embarrassingly uh, at that. And I'm being very, very uh, generous when I say kind of embarrassing. So, you know, I think 
I, you know, I think I mean I think it's better this way um, that he stays away from UFC for for a while. And to be fair, uh, you had um, uh, from if I'm not mistaken, I think you had uh, uh, Floyd was acting like he was going to get into the arena of MMA to fight. Uh, I really hope he. I really hope that wasn't the case. I was really hoping that wasn't the case. Yeah, so I I personally hope this would put a stop to it in any event, to be really honest. I'm sure it does. I hope it does. I'm sure it does. I I, I think it will, honestly. So that's just just my take on it. I, I think this will be something where we'll go, okay, you know what, that's that's that. I think it will be something where it's like that's that you know that that that'll put that'll put an end to it and stuff like that. But again, we'll see. NB, but uh, moving forward, NBA. Kyrie Irving out for the rest of the season and the playoffs. <laughs> hurts. It hurts. Um. I remember saying, I remember we were talking about this, True. We were talking about who who would come out the East in the NBA Finals. And I did the one thing that I rarely would ever do, and that was go to bat for the Boston Celtics. And I think they would come out the East. I think they could come out the East. And I thought that they could give uh, – I, I, I said I thought they could take Golden State to six games. With – the latest injury? Yeah, I don't think Boston coming out of the uh, is going in the... I, I highly doubt they even make the conference finals now. I don't think they... Uh, I, I don't see them making the conference finals. I don't, I don't see them making the conference finals now. Because now, you replace Kyrie Irving, who was your... who, who was leading your team, you replace him with who? With what Marcus Smart, Terry Rozier, not 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 saying that they're bad players. They're solid players. And here's the problem. You, here's the problem with that too. Marcus Smart is out for indefinitely. And oh yeah, that's right. Smart is out. And I'll be fair. I'm not a Marcus Smart fan, but I like I would like the Celtics' uh, chances. You know. And apparently, like Marcus, like it'd be fair. Marcus Smart's getting his thumb reevaluated um, at I think the beginning of next week, so it's they're targeting a playoff return for him, uh, maybe game one or game two, um, you know, in the playoffs. So he he had a uh, I think it was a thumb surgery or hand surgery or something like that, and you know we we just saw you know Clay Thompson go through a uh, some issue, and he came back, and he's been, you know, pretty solid. And I think some, I think one or two other guys came out of some issue uh, so far this season. But, you know, whatever the case may be, uh, Marcus Smart is out now. And I will say this, however. I watched the Celtics pull off a victory uh, with their B squad, so to speak, against the Raptors um, before, and then they took the Raptors to – um, like I think they took the Raptors to. No, they lost, so they got blown out in the, in the second half. 
by the Raptors, but that first quarter they were they were leading, and the second quarter they were sticking with them. So it's like this team is good enough, and they're coached well enough that if you put their players in the right position, they can all stay healthy. You know, and I think it's a sample size of what the Celtics look like without Kyrie. They're not a bad team. And in the Eastern Conference, that's actually a beautiful side. You can take Al Horford with a Jason Tatum, a Jalen Brown, and a Terry Rozier and put them on the court, maybe get a Greg Monroe in there. I think the only thing the Celtics messed up on was not acquiring Tyreek Evans uh, before the trade deadline went down. I think that was the only mistake they made. Um, there was a stockpile of draft picks. They could have went after Lou Williams if they wanted to. They could have went after Tyreek Evans, both of which would have been very, very helpful for them going into the playoffs. And I kind of feel like that's the biggest regret they're going to have for this season. But I also feel like I feel like they're a second-round team at best right now without Kyrie. But if they were to prove us all wrong and somehow make the conference finals or somehow uh, – out of nowhere, make the NBA Finals, which I think is very, very unlikely. But if they bought some odd chance that were to happen, there's no way they win a championship either way. There's no way. Uh, if you're standing on the opposite side against shit, Golden State, Houston, uh, even the Utah Jazz, somebody like that, like a sleeper team like that, I still don't think they uh, still don't think they would end up. Uh, still don't think they would end up winning. So I, I don't I don't I, I I agreed with everything uh you know I agree with everything that you had said Matt for the most part about um about the Celtics being one that would uh you know be able to take the Warriors to possibly, you know, six games. I, I said probably five where they would get swept if the Warriors were fully healthy and, and you know, and doing it, able to do that thing. But, you know, regardless, I still feel like uh, the Celtics have a solid enough team to get to the second round and maybe find a way to, you know, get to uh, get to the um, – Get to the maybe possibly get to the conference finals depending on how everything goes. Um, but if they if they manage to as the number two seed, if they manage to get out the first round, the second round they would probably have to play um, the Cavs, and that's really that's that's really not going to work for them. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, this injury sucks. All the all the injuries suck this season, man. It fuck, this season fucking sucks with injuries. This this season, I I will say this. This season, it seemed like there has been a lot of injuries. There there has been a lot of injuries. Actually, if you if you really think about it, there's been a good chunk of injuries that that's been uh, hitting this. Um, that's been hitting the team, you know. That's been hitting teams. Um, it 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 it's crazy to think about too, because here we are. We we talk about this in the NBA. When you want to see the NBA at its best, you want everybody healthy. That's when you know you want every every single body healthy. 
but the thing about it too is like we understand injuries are a part of the game. That's that's just how it is. I always tell people injuries is a part of the game. But at the same time, you don't want to see anyone get injured. You don't want to see guys get hurt because that takes away from the overall value of the game, and that's what happened. That That's what ended up happening. So, um. I I mean we'll see, we'll see what what is what does this do for Boston? I mean this hurts Boston. It hurts them. I mean everyone is saying LeBron now has a cakewalk to the NBA Finals. Do you, I mean do you see it that way, True? Do you see this as LeBron has a cakewalk? Because here or, or the Cavs? Excuse me. I'm not even gonna say LeBron because he has a team. The Cavs, because I look at it like this: Who's the one oh, team man. that you can really look at? I mean, Toronto, but do you trust Toronto right now? I mean, I've, you know tr- I've I heard trust? Philly. I've heard Philly. I was about to say. I've heard. Here it comes, here it comes, and it's gonna be the hottest take of this entire playoff season. My secondary pick for the NBA Finals this year, Golden State Warriors fully healthy against the Philadelphia 76ers. Absolutely could see that happening. And the reason why I say this, and let me go back to your point first about is it a cakewalk to the NBA Finals for the Cleveland Cavaliers? Yes and no. This is a different Eastern Conference. The Miami Heat defensively seem to have a slight kryptonite against the Cleveland Cavaliers, especially in Miami. Dwayne Wade is back. That team seems focused. If they're healthy going into a first-round series against Cleveland, I don't think it would be a sweep. The reason being is because there is no Kyrie Irving to take up that third scoring load, or really the second scoring load, sometimes first scoring load off LeBron's shoulders. I watched a game tonight where LeBron had to take over a game against the Wizards, just and the Wizards had to blow the game and be trash on the offensive end against poor defense, uh, poor shot selection. That's something that coaching can fix. Spolstra is an amazing coach, in my opinion, and he's done so well with a Miami team that has very little in terms of talent. Uh, you know, James Johnson is not a talent, a talent that pops off the fucking, the fucking screen. Uh, even Goran Dragic is an all-star. His name still doesn't pop off the screen. Hassan Whiteside's name pops off a little bit. Uh, but when you look at, you know, Wayne Ellington and all these different guys on the heat, this is a deceptively deep team of role players that work because when you have a coach that knows how to coach guys from, you know, 1 through 15, that makes them deadly. If if the Miami Heat is the first team that the Cleveland Cavaliers see, I think that series can go six or seven games. I also think there's a possibility Cleveland could be upset. And the reason why? is because it's not just about LeBron this year. 
the Cavs, since the trade, they struggled against Miami this year. Actually, I think they struggled against Miami every game this year. Let me check. Let's check. Uh, like their first game was against uh, was in Cleveland when the Heat went against uh, when against the Cavs, and I think the Cavs were like running them out the gym at first, and it was just that this was a. Uh, yeah, this is when Kevin Love was cooking 38 points and Dwayne Weed and, and, and J.R. and uh, I think Kyle Corver was cooking. So they were just cooking, but the, he tried to make a comeback in the, in the end. But then you look at the second game that they had in Cleveland. That game was a lot closer. And if I remember correctly, uh, the refs were very, very nice, very, very nice uh, to the Cavs that game, which allowed them to uh, – to, to to scram away with a win, but a big factor with those first two games that the Cavs won, Dwayne Wade was leading the second unit of the Cavs. When you look at the one game that they played in Miami, it was a wipeout. It was a blowout. The Heat whooped they ass. LeBron was held to 18 points. He had a bad night shooting. Um, George Hill did nothing. Um, Kevin Love, I think that was I think that was a game Love got injured or something, or he or he wasn't not injured, but he left early or something like that. Uh, Larry Nance didn't really do much on the offensive end. Um, J.R. Smith, absolutely nothing. Uh, so you know this is this is this was a defensive effort, and you got to look at this too. The Cavs have one of the best offenses in the NBA against the Heat. They've had one game where they scored over 100 points. One game. You know, their offense was ranked number four or number three in the NBA between, uh, you know, October and February before the, before the trades went through. Their offensive rating has declined since then. If the Heat could hold the Cavs to 79 points, in Miami, who's to say that come playoff time with D. Wade back on the team leading the charge with the entire team back mostly healthy because I don't think they're missing anybody come playoff time, who's to say that this team couldn't give them problems? Is Larry Nance Jr., Tristan Thompson, going to be able to stop Hassan Whiteside on the boards? Hassan Whiteside averages 13 boards a game in his sleep. You know what I mean? Like these are the things that people have to look at. It's not just oh LeBron is LeBron. LeBron is gonna LeBron. LeBron averaged a fucking triple double in a month where the Cavs went seven and six. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. Like it's it, it's not it's not that uh it's it, it's not that clear cut to me to me at least it's not that clear cut. So um. You know, I think for me, I kind of feel like I don't know, man. You know, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think the Cavs is like I said. I said this earlier this year, and I keep saying, and I still think we'll see Cavs versus Warriors part four. Um, I actually expect that to be the the finals again, but if I had to pick one team, and and I know people probably be like, you know, 
Warriors aren't the best team in the West right now. And on paper, I, and you know, standings-wise in the regular season, I get that. But um, no, nah, man, like I, I don't know. Like I'm just looking at everything, and I think Toronto, Toronto had something. If if the Cats had never made a trade and got rid of IT and everybody else, I actually think the Raptors would be the favorite to come out the come out the East. It's just matchup problems. Certain teams are not matchup problems. Like Toronto could give could, I think Toronto in a playoff series could beat the Houston Rockets because they're the only team that whooped their ass for the most part in two games, both, both games this season. Once in Houston, once at them, once the Rockets at full strength on a huge winning streak uh, in Toronto. So I think they could. I think Boston Celtics fully healthy could have definitely beat Houston, the Houston Rockets. But we've seen, the, the you know, the, the, the Celtics fully healthy and the, and the Rockets fully healthy against the Warriors. And I think the Raptors will put up a good effort against the Warriors, probably going to beat them. Same thing goes for the Celtics. Uh, where the Cavs, you know, when you play against the Cavs, for Boston, that's a matchup problem. Because who's going to, you know, as, even as a great defensive team, who's going to guard LeBron? Can Al Horford stop Kevin Love? Um, you know, look at Toronto. Can Valanciunas uh, make an impact? Can Serge Ibaka make an impact against Kevin Love or slow down Kevin Love's ability to be a stretch four? Like, these are the things, that, or, or, or in his case, a stretch five, depending on what position he's, they're going to have him play for the, you know, with Jeff Green starting. And I think people don't realize a lot of what Jeff Green starting at power forward or wherever or small forward, whichever they're going to have him starting at, a lot of it has to do with the fact that come playoff time, there's going to be matchup problems for LeBron on a defensive end that he doesn't want to face. He's not going to want to face them. And it's more so in the finals. Or, or, also the off possibilities of the second round or the Eastern Conference Finals if it was to ever come to that. Like, imagine, let's say Milwaukee finishes eighth. Or better yet, let's say Milwaukee finishes seventh because the Wizards are basically tied for eighth as well. So let's say that the uh, Milwaukee finishes seventh and they happen to beat Boston in the first round and then go to the second round to take on Cleveland. While I think Cleveland would end up winning that series against them, no, LeBron is not going to exert his energy defending against Giannis because he does not defend well against the team's best player. And that would be a matchup, LeBron versus Giannis. That, that would be the matchup. To be fair, the Bucs could win out and the Heat could drop to seventh or eighth, two. So there's a chance. I think the only – I think – the first five seeds are locked in. It's just where do they finish? And I think that's mostly between Cleveland and Philadelphia. If the, if the Cavs went out, they'll be number three, which is ideal for them, I would I would assume. Uh, but you know, anything could change with Milwaukee, Washington, and Miami. So I got I got yeah, because it's Cavs, literally that close. It's that close, and that's just in the East. So I think, like I said, the Cavs probably make the finals again. I don't think their road to the finals is as easy as it's been before because there's so much talk of what LeBron's doing in year 15 on the offensive end. And it's impressive what he's doing. But if I remember correctly, I remember seeing Kobe in year 15, 16, I think got named to the all-defensive team 
uh, at the time. I think he's named, you know, all defensive, and he was, uh, you know, a top defender. Majority of his career, he was seen as that. So I think, you know, look at stuff like that. It's hard to really measure because come come playoff time, LeBron can average a triple-double in a series, and the Cavs can still lose the series. We saw this last year. Right. You have to play both ends of the court. And to me, nobody in the East this year that I take seriously has played, and I make sure I put that take seriously for a reason. No one has played better on both ends of the court, especially in the, since, the, since the All-Star break, than the 76ers. In my opinion, no one has. Offensively, they're like number five, number six in the league. Defensively, they're number four in the league. Um, Cleveland is like number four or five in, in offense, but they're still like 27th, 28th in defense. If you're only a notch above in defense, uh, the Phoenix Suns and like the the Memphis Grizzlies or some shit, maybe not even the Grizzlies, the Grizzlies are above them. So like if you're not above the low team, like the lowly teams, to me, that's a problem. You know what I'm saying? Like, to me, that's a problem. So, um, I think that defensive issue could rear its ugly head against a team that's offensively uh, sound. And it's just that the Raptors don't have what it takes because they're still the Toronto Raptors. No matter how you cut it, they're still the Toronto Raptors. The Toronto Raptors have given the 76ers problems, Boston problems. Uh, Indiana, I think they may have given them problems a little bit. Can't remember what's up my head. Um, Miami, Washington, Milwaukee, they've given all these teams problems. But that's in the regular season. Come playoff time, it's when the fundamentals lock in. It's when Kyle Lowry has to show up. DeMar DeRozan really has to show up. And I don't believe in them. Uh, for Boston, like I said, it's an unfortunate situation. But Boston's likened to the two seed. And, you know, being likened to the two seed means they, they can start uh, the playoffs with home court advantage and, you know, at least up until Eastern Conference Finals, they will probably have home court advantage. So that helps them. But I still think Cleveland is like I'm out the East. But I could also see a 76ers versus Cavs Eastern Conference Finals. And I think if that were to happen, I could also see a healthy Sixers team. Because these are still young, fresh legs also, people have to realize. The Cavs are younger, but they're not really that much younger. You know what I'm saying? Like Kyle Corver's old, Jeff Green's up there, George Hill ain't no spring chicken. But you got Ronnie Hood, Jordan Clarkson, and Larry Nance. Two of those players have never played in the playoffs before. They never really sniffed That's the playoffs. That's what I was going to say. They never, they never sniffed the playoffs. You got to remember those guys, those guys haven't even been close to the playoffs before. And, and, you know, that's kind of like where you got to look at things and kind of be like, all right, man, well, you know, maybe Toronto can do it because they've been to the playoffs so many years. Uh, they have, you know, they have experience. Maybe Washington becomes a better team in the playoffs because they've been to the playoffs. And, you know, but I think that's the – and, you know, Philly's a young team, so maybe they aren't ready for playoff basketball. And I think that's my biggest gripe with Philly is that, they haven't really been to the playoffs before, so they might not really know what to do. But I think the confidence 
in the fact that you really can't guard Joel Embiid when he because when he, he'll be back by the time. Simmons is finding his rhythm completely. If you can carry those bad habits, he's protecting the ball, he's preventing turnovers. So that's what you want from a, from a team going into the playoffs. But it doesn't always translate, as we've seen from countless times with the Raptors, with Houston Rockets, with uh, OKC, with Portland, um, a number of teams. Buildings that happens in the regular season can completely just fall apart come playoff time. You can look like the greatest team ever in the regular season, and it falls apart come playoff time. Like, it just happens that way. And I don't think people understand, like, that's just that's just how it goes, man. Like, that's just really how it goes. And, and so I, I think Cleveland has the most poised veterans that have been to, you know, J.R., Tristan, Kevin Love, uh, LeBron. To me, that should be enough to get them out to eat. Um, so, but, you know, for me, I think the playoff picture, I look at the Western Conference, the Western Conference is like, the Western Conference is crazy right now. That's even crazier than the East. It's 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 baffling. Right now, a, pl- a game with playoff implications is happening on television. The Timberwolves versus the Nuggets. These teams are fighting their life their lives away to obtain a playoff spot to make sure they get it. The first round should be a breeze for Houston and Golden State, even though Golden State's not one hundred percent healthy. It should probably be a breeze for them because they've been there before. You know what I'm saying? Like they've been there before. So it, it, like both both teams, both teams have players that have been there before. Where these teams, uh, you know, Minnesota, like let's say Golden State gets Minnesota. Has Golden State? I mean, has Minnesota really been there before to know what playoff basketball is like? No. You know what I mean? Like no. Like if let's say Denver Nuggets get it. Does Denver have enough veterans that really understand how the level of playoff basketball? No. You know, look at look at New Orleans. Uh, you know, does New Orleans have uh, what it takes to get? I mean, if New Orleans finishes eighth, I could see Anthony Davis going off, man, and 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 putting Houston through some. I think Houston will win, but I still think you know New Orleans could put them through some pain. It'll be a hard fought battle. You know, the motivation is just to make the playoffs, and if New Orleans can do that, then, hey, man, you know, uh, there's a lot to be said for that. But looking at their Western Conference, man, and it's like you got Houston at 64-15, and 15, which is amazing. I think Houston could possibly either win out or lose one, one more game and finish 66-16. and 16. And I'll keep saying, I think Houston is the Dallas Mavericks of 2007. I think this is exactly 2007 again. Spurs were two seed in 2007, and they dominated in the playoffs. They didn't look that dominant in the regular season. They had a couple injuries, a couple, you know, things happened. But they ended up going as a two seed, winning about 50, 58, 59 games, I think. And the number one seed didn't even make it to the conference finals. So I feel like this is 2007 all over again. And the one team I think, like, if you're Golden State, I'm, I'm going to keep it a buck. If you're Golden State right now, the greatest thing ever just happened for you. 
the Utah Jazz, who I think out of all, from four through eight is the deadliest team. Because the Utah Jazz over their last like thirty five games have won like twenty nine of them. And they've like number two and number three in defense. So the Utah Jazz is in the fourth seed. Golden State won't have to see them until conference finals if it comes to that. That's an ideal situation. San Antonio Spurs, who become a different animal in the playoffs also, they're 50 right now. Probably wouldn't have to see them until conference finals if they were to make it. Oklahoma City, 60. If Minnesota holds on and they went out and they win this game, I think they'll end up in six or seven. I can't remember. I think no, I mean, and they might they might end up in uh, if if Minnesota oh, wins this game tonight against Denver, uh, Minnesota wins against Denver. I think OKC remains six. Can't remember off the top of my head. Whatever. Uh, whatever the case is, Golden State, the dream scenario to me would be uh, Minnesota to Jimmy Butler is still. He's back in uniform. He's active, but I don't think he's playing. So he's not going to be in rhythm by the time the playoffs come. He's not going to be in rhythm. Um, the ideal scenario for, I think, Houston would be to get New Orleans. Or, actually, no, that's probably not ideal for them because Drew Holiday and, and Rondo, all the defensive guys that can put their point guards through paint also and probably could injure one of their one of their top two players because that's kind of what they do. But I think the, the dream scenario for the Rockets would probably be Denver to win out and New Orleans to miss the playoffs so that Denver could play Houston because Houston is not going to lose to Denver. That would be a relatively, in my opinion, easy series for any of those teams, uh, either Golden State or Houston, Steph Curry being out that. And then you look at um, – uh, you know Portland and and these matchups, and I think it's 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 Houston, Golden State, and Portland. And from what I've seen, despite Portland, um, you know Portland's won two games this season against Golden State, and I guess I get the hot takes, but you know I watched a uh, Steph Curry less Bla- uh, Warriors team destroy the Blazers by twenty something. And then I saw a, you know, limping to the all-star break Warriors team get to, you know, almost start off getting destroyed by the Blazers and come back, and they probably should have won the game um, before the all-star break. But, you know, referees referees definitely didn't help, which has been the case for most of the season. But, you know, so I, like, I don't think Golden State or Houston has anything to worry about with Portland um, at all. I don't even know if Portland can get out the first round, to be fair. So, you know, in the West, in the Western Conference, I think uh, it comes down to two teams. But for some reason, I have more faith in Golden State than I do in Houston. And this is just because we've seen them in the playoffs before. You know what I'm saying? Like, we've seen their momentum in the playoffs. We've seen them find their way. And tonight, Golden State got destroyed by the Pacers. And I think, you know, I saw Warriors fans, who I, I despise Warriors fans so much now, but I saw Warriors fans like tripping out like this I've is why been, I'm like, I've been giving you the heads I've I've been told you the heads up on, on Warrior fans. I've, well, I've been you know, told you the heads I'm up like, on them. You know, look, 
because because I'm, I'm I'm a huge fan of Steph Curry, which is really the main reason why, uh, you know, one of the main reasons why I even pay attention to the Warriors in general. I feel like, you know, like seeing some of these uh, some of these Warriors fans, man, like Kevin Durant in the playoffs to me is. He, I think he's a special. I think he's a special player come playoff time. Uh, I think Clay Thompson, you know, and this is the thing people don't realize. Remember, two thousand sixteen, we saw Steph Curry go down before the first round against the Houston Rockets, and the Warriors won that in five games. That was just Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Harrison Barnes, Andre Iguodala and the rest of the, the crew. And their bench wasn't, to be fair, I don't think their bench was that great uh, during that series. But Clay stepped up. He became that guy that he, know he's, you know, he, he knows that he's going to have to become. And, you know, Draymond played extra hard, and they didn't have KD. And in the second, in the second round, without Steph for most of it, Warriors went against the Blazers. Comfortably ended up, you know, moving on. So I think a lot of times I think Warriors fans panic. But I'm looking at Quinn Cook stepping into a role that he's, you know, well-deserving of. Uh, you know, Andre Iguodala, he's a little injured right now. But to me, I think it's precautionary rest versus him actually being really badly injured. I think that's what, what Golden State has been doing. It's just precautionary. Just precaution, you know, precautionary measures that they're taking, preventive measures to make sure that their guys are fully healthy or as healthy as can be. You know, KD's, you know, came back from injury, and he's he's struggling a little bit from the field, but I think that's that's by design. You know, you, you're not going to come right back in uh, after being out two weeks and instantly click. So they're giving you know all these guys time to get all that out their system and then getting in preparation mode for the playoffs. So I feel like Warriors fans are just a little bit, I don't know, they're just a little bit overzealous. And to be completely honest, it's not entirely out of the realm that Steph Curry could be back before the end of the first round. I don't care what Steve Kerr says. If Steph, if Steph gets reevaluated two days, which is two days before the playoffs start, and it turns out that, hey, he can resume basketball activities He's going to be on the court scrimmaging by the start of the playoffs, and he'll be practicing somewhere between game one, game two, and could probably play by game three. I actually think this is a possibility. Like I said, a grade two MCL without without any extra issues or bone bruises takes two to four weeks to totally heal. Most players return anywhere between three to four weeks. So I think it's a possibility, but even if he doesn't, I think Quinn Cook has stepped up in the role of starting point guard. Sean Livingston has been good. David West is getting his form back. Uh, Nick Young was sick tonight, so he didn't play very well. But I think the Warriors have enough talent to get out the first round without Steph Curry. And I think it's all about instilling confidence in themselves. They just won three games in a row uh, with a depleted roster. They lost Patrick McCall um, and probably lost Patrick McCall for maybe the remainder of the playoffs or – maybe until second round or 
you know, maybe conference finals, whatever. So this is a team that's been depleted, been injured all year, and they're still possibly on pace to win 60 games if they can win out. And at the very worst, they win 58 to 59 games in a hugely depleted season. I'm going to put it like this, dude. I'm going to put it like this. And this is where... This is where I um, – you, you may agree with me. You may disagree with me on this. But I'm going to put it like this. Everyone's talking about how in the East this could be a, a cakewalk for um, – this could be a cakewalk for, for the, uh, the Cavs. I think this, honestly, and this might be an unpopular opinion – I think this is a cake. This playoffs could be a cakewalk for uh, for Golden State. I seriously think I that. I think that because if you look at it like this, okay, let's look at it like this. Whoever Golden State plays in the first round, they're gonna gonna beat them. All right, so there's that. Whoever Golden State, the first two rounds, that's for sure thing. The conference finals. I think that may present a challenge. That might be a challenge. And the reason I say might is because it depends on what team you're getting from from Houston. I don't see Houston knocking off um, Golden State. I don't. I, I don't just don't either. see it. Uh, I put it like this: a healthy Golden State with their with their their four their four intact. No, I don't see that. Not in the seven game series. Not in the seven game series. Um, if both if Steph wasn't healthy, maybe. Uh, but even at eighty percent Steph Curry on the court, with a one hundred percent Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala, I in the playoffs. I like their chance. See, and this is another thing. This is why I, I, I feel like this could be a cakewalk for Golden State, too. And I think the reason why is because you've watched them all season. They've just been waiting for the playoffs. Like, they've literally just been waiting for the playoffs. I think that's the craziest part about it. Like, they said all season, we're just waiting for the playoffs to get here. And, and, and someone, someone said something to me like, uh, you know, as a as a Warriors fan, he's like, you can't just flip the switch, just like that, and expect it to work. They're not, you know, the Cavs did that and thought they did it until they got a rude awakening in the NBA Finals. And I was like, no, it wasn't a rude awakening. It was the fact that just Golden State was just a better team than Cleveland last year. We saw that last year, uh, in in many ways. Golden State number one offense in the NBA. Uh, number three defense, number four defense in the NBA last year overall. This year, they're number four, number five in defense, even with being injured. The best defensive rookie by way of advanced stats this year, Jordan Bell. Uh, You know, their offense was number one. Their offense remains still number one. Scoring-wise, they're still number one, even with Steph being out for 30 games this season down there, Uh, KD being out for like 10 Clay being off for nine or ten, Draymond being off for fifteen, twenty, Iguodala being like, you've never seen anything like that before. 
Like, you've never seen a team where their core was out over 10 games apiece, and they still maintain to be top five. This team played the best defense they've ever played since the All-Star break without Clay, Steph, KD, and Draymond. And, and, and they lost all those games, but it didn't even matter. It didn't even matter they lost because that's a confidence builder. That's a booster for their bench. You're putting these guys in situations where they got to play 30 minutes instead of 15, and now when it comes time for them to put in 15 quality minutes, they're ready. They're not exhausted. They're ready come playoff time. And it's just like you see guys like Livingston's finding his – getting his jumper back. Iguodala's getting his legs back up under him, and he, he should be good to go for playoffs. Uh, you know, Damian Jones is showing that, hey, I don't want to be cut. If you're going to cut anybody, it's Caspi to make room for Quinn Cook. Kevon Looney has been stepping up big time, playing good minutes, playing good defense. Quinn Cook has been amazing. KD has been solid. Like, I, I think this is what people don't get is that you really have to look at this team and see that it's going to come down to the first round. I think they'll get out the first round. Like, they're not a bad team. And I think we've seen that there's no sense of urgency with the team in the regular season because it's the regular season. For a team that knows how to win, a team that went 16-1 and last year, they might not go 16-0, and 16-1 this year, um, but I think they prepared themselves for a long haul. You know, in close games, they've won close games. They, You know, they've, they can rely on Steph, to, 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 and I think that's another thing that they've had to work on, which is good for them as a whole, because now you don't have to be like, yo, we down 20 points a half. Steph going to come in the third quarter and drop 25 in this quarter, and we're going to end up by, oh, up by 15 by the time the quarter's over. Because we've seen that before. You know what I mean? Like, we've seen this happen so many times with the Warriors. That becomes an Achilles heel. You still got Kevin Durant, who we saw in the past lead a depleted OKC team to the conference finals in 60 wins when Russell Westbrook was out for 45 games. He didn't have a Draymond Green on his side. He didn't have a Clay Thompson. He didn't have a, you know, secondary piece uh, off the bench like an Andre Godawa. Like, there's basketball IQ. There's building up better habits defensively. This is what teams do when it gets time for playoffs. It's something that if you have it, you have it. And to me, the Warriors are the team that has it. It's just like I said, I said this when the season first started, Matt. You know I did. I don't see anybody beating Golden State this year. And knowing Joe Lacob and Bob Myers, nobody's probably going to beat them next year either. And the only reason why I say that is because they're going to get rid of those pieces that have hurt them. Zaza Pachulia, JaVel McGee, Nick Young. Those three are gone. Caspi's for sure gone. And they're going to try to replace them with better pieces, more athletic pieces, because they have to be ahead of the curve. The same way the three-point revolution changed the game and the Warriors utilized that better than anyone else, they now see versatility is going to be the key to long-term success. You have to realize this. Look at what Joel Embiid can do. Look at what Ben Simmons can do on the same team, right? 
Look at the versatility in the Celtics. Daniel Tice is a seven-foot white dude, but he was draining three. Uh, Ojale is, uh, I think he's a four or five, shooting threes. He's a, he's at a will. four and a five. He's a four and a five. You know, so, you know, so look at these guys. Versatility in your game is important for the for the future, because Golden State's front the Golden State starting five is to me the most versatile starting five in the NBA because you have you don't have just specialists. Steph is just not a three point shooter. Steph is one of the best finishers at the rim, efficient efficiently and just how he does it. He has handles. He can you know impact the game. He can be. He can be a guy that draws attention to the defense so people get wide open shots and better spacing. But he can also take over the game and kill you in ISO if he or, or kill you off the dribble if he really wanted to. Clay is, to me, one of the best two-way, defense, two-way guards in the league. KD, to me, one of the best, if not the best, overall two-way player. Draymond Green, one of the most versatile players. He's not a scorer first, but he's very versatile. And when he does, and the Warriors depend so much on their front four that I think they kind of just feel like we can win with just that. And this season was probably, for them, the best thing that happened to them because now, no, you can't just win with these four because what if? If Steph goes down, you need a point guard who can give you 20 a night, five assists, four rebounds, a couple steals. Quinn Cook has become that guy. You know, you're going to need a four and a five if Draymond goes down that can step up and be defensive, step up and give boards, step up and make blocks. Kevon Looney has done that. Jordan Bell has done that. That's why I think this team, I think the Warriors are more dangerous next season than they are this year. Because your hindsight is not the same as experiencing something and learning from your mistakes. And, of course, the Warriors were so stupid this offseason that re-signing JaVale, re-signing Zaza, you know, putting so much effort into giving Nick Young so much money, uh, it didn't make sense to me at first, to be honest, because I didn't think Swaggy was an actual good defender like that. I mean, he's been okay at decent times. He, and he, maybe some his, his defense got better. Well, I'm not going to say he got better, but he, his defense was better last season, and I think that was the one time he actually had good defense. That was the one time he had good defense was um, it was last season when he was his last year with the Lakers. And I think it was just because he felt like he had an easy road this year. His effort hasn't been there the same because he's being called upon, you know what I mean, to go out and do what he needs to do to help his team win. And he hasn't stepped up like that. Like, he's the garbage time god this season, in my opinion. Because you'll look at the box score and be like, you know, you'll see Nick Young, 19 points, uh, you know, and but in the first three quarters he had five because the Warriors will be up by, like, 15 to win a game, and Swaggy will hit, like, three or four threes in a row, and his box score goes up. 
he hasn't been that effective. And I think this has been the biggest issue. And I, and this is why people are saying that they think Livingston, they're going to get rid of Livingston um, come this offseason in a trade. And I was like, absolutely not. What they're going to do is they're going to they're going to fill the backup shooting guard spot for Clay. They're going to fill that with Quinn Cook and keep Livingston as the backup point guard. Well, they're grooming Quinn Cook right now. They've been grooming Quinn. They, they're grooming Quinn Cook right now. Quinn Cook can play. Some a lot of people. He's a, he's gotta, a really good player. Yeah, that's something people got to get over. He's a good player. He earned himself a spot on Golden State. Why do you think he's getting a multi-year, um, a multi-year deal with Golden State? You, you. That's that's what's gonna happen. And 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 like I said, I, I there's the multi-year deal. I think is for the rest of this season and then next season. But and pop and it's possible there may be a, a, another season on top of that. But what they're gonna do, and I think his, his next year it'll be worth one point five four million. But what's gonna happen is is that he, he's earned a spot on the roster, and he's going to become such an impactful part of, you know, what the Warriors need for the future. Because in my opinion, if you run uh, Steph, Clay, KD, Draymond, let's say for shits and giggles, Jordan, Bella, Kavon, Looney at the five, after you get rid of JaVale and um, – you know, Zaza, that's a dangerous, to me, that's a dangerous starting five, especially with Jordan Bell, especially with Jordan Bell. Because Jordan Bell, to me, is the best of all their, like, fours and, and fives. Defensively, he's one of their best players. He's the, the best defensive big. I think Looney is getting there, too. So, that's a dangerous starting five. And then you go Quinn Cook, Livingston, Igadawa, uh, you know, maybe whoever doesn't start between Bell and Looney off the, you know, the bench and maybe another, uh, maybe a stretch four that could fill in in the five. Like, there's a lot of options. So you build your first two units to be deadly on all the cores. You need three-point shooting. You need uh, good spacing. And, you know, maybe Patrick, Patrick McCall, Patrick McCall's not a bad shooter. He's just he's got he's injury he's been injury stricken a lot this season and he's lost his confidence. But if they were able to replace uh Nick Young with, with another piece on top of Quinn Cook, that's a dangerous that's a dangerous roster. Their roster's gonna be dangerous for the next however many years. That's just that's just the way it's gonna go. I think they're more deadly next year. And I said this before, if Houston doesn't win this year, this is their last chance to win. People think I'm crazy when I say that, but there's a method to my madness. Because for one, let's be real. Look at the players on Houston. That team is older. Joe Johnson, Gerald Green, Trevor Ariza, P.J. Tucker, Nene, that's one third of the roster right there. Chris Paul himself. Niggas is old. They're old. Harden is in his ninth or tenth season. He's not old, but you know, 
he's he's in his prom right now. But the reason's beyond his prom. PJ Tucker's beyond his prom. Um, Ryan Anderson's beyond his prom. Like I can I can go through certain teams and I can give you their youth movement, right? The Celtics, Terry Rozier, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. Even Kyrie is still young. He's a veteran. He's still young, right? Daniel Tice is yeah. young. He's a rookie. You know, young. You go to to the Raptors, right? Raptors have pieces that are still fairly young. I don't know them because I don't really pay attention to the Raptors, but still fairly young. Milwaukee Bucks, Giannis is still young. Jabari Parker, for all his worth, is still a young dude. Don Maker, uh, these are still young dudes. He's getting hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Malcolm Brogdon, even though he's hurt right now, Rookie of the year, reigning rookie of the year, still young. 76ers, Markel Fultz, who, if he's playing like he's been playing and can consistently do it for, for future years, that's a problem. Ben Simmons, he's learning how to score a little easier at will, more consistently. If he develops just a nice mid-range jumper, maybe, unstoppable. Joel Embiid, still a young dude. Look at the Nuggets, man. The Nuggets got some some younger pieces there. Um, the, I mean, the Minnesota Timberwolves got young pieces. Carl Anthony Towns hasn't really hit his peak yet. Andrew Wiggins, I don't know, maybe. I don't know, maybe. I, I don't really know what to say about him. But, you know, the Lakers. Shit, the Lakers, man. The Lakers got the best young core overall with the highest upside to me, besides the Celtics. In the 76ers, those are the three teams. And the Bulls even have a nice, you know, the Bulls got a nice young core. They just haven't, they just need the right coach and the right executives behind them. But so when you look at these teams, all the teams I listed are teams that are not seen as true contenders right now. The Celtics were, but the Kyrie injury kind of takes them out. But none of these teams are seen as true contenders this year. So look at, look at the Warriors. The Warriors are seen as contenders because of their front four with Iguodala, with Livingston, David West. And the players that are known to be good players and have high IQs and things like that. But go to Quinn Cook, Kevon Looney, Damian Jones, Jordan Bell, even Patrick McCall. Look at that. That's a third of their roster all under the age of 25. I think under the 25. They're young dudes. They're younger players that have years ahead of them where they can only get better in a system that makes you better with a team that highlights your strengths. Clay Thompson don't got to dribble down the court 20, you know, and, 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 be, a, and be a primary ball handler because that's not his strength. But he got to give you 20, 20 a game, 25 a game, and shoot 50, 50 40, or 48, 43, and, and 85 for an entire season. He can hit 235 threes a year, 243 threes a year, 250. That's his strength. KD can go out there and become a much better two-way player with that two, with Golden State than he was in OKC. Draymond can be, you know, the technician. I, I consider him the technician 
of the Warriors' offense and defense. Iguodala can showcase what he does best on both ends. I think he's got some of the best uh, the best IQ for the game on the team. So it's like you look at what they have in their veteran core, which, you know, four players are still just hitting their primes with young dudes that are advancing and, and getting better. That makes them a dangerous team. I, was like, I think they're more dangerous next year. Jordan Bell going to get some playoff experience. Quinn Cook will get playoff experience. Both are going to be with the team next year. Those, to me, are the two most promising young dudes, right? So right. what does that say about their future? If the two most promising young dudes on your team are going to get playoff minutes, if Damian Jones plays like he's been playing in the G League, he's going to be either the starting center or the secondary center for that team. That's dangerous. Because Damian Jones is developing a jumper. Jordan Bell hit a couple mid-range shots the last few games, developing a jumper. Why? To be fair, uh, the, the biggest the biggest thing with the Warriors' offense and why it's going to be continue to be so good is they work very closely with Steve Nash. If Jordan Bell and Kevon Looney and Damian Jones all develop jumpers, look, Kevon Looney hit a three recently. If they can develop jumpers and kind of add it to their repertoire, that's going to become the dangerous, most dangerous team. It already is, but it's going to be even more dangerous. That's a team that you can, you can, you can have Steph play 33 minutes a game, KD play 34 minutes a game, and win 68 to 70 games if your bench is producing like it should. That's the only reason why they haven't won as many games this year. Their bench wasn't producing. Because as a product of your own success, most teams get lackadaisical once they reach a certain level. That's the unfortunate truth about the NBA, is that once you get to a point where you're so good or you've won, there's wear and tear on your body. There's mental wear and tear. For the Warriors, however, they are looking forward to the playoffs, where a lot of teams go so hard in the regular season that by the time the playoffs come, they are a little mentally exhausted for that, you know, to level up. And the Warriors, I think, are the exact opposite. I think the Cavs are slightly the opposite, but only their front four. Only their four. There's no shump on the team no more. There's no um, there's no Richard Jefferson. There's no Channing Fry. There's no, you know, like some of the guys that were there for the championship run. Yeah. They're not there anymore. You know what I mean? So you replace most of your roster with a Seti Osman who what does Seti Osman know about the playoffs? The defensive traps, the defensive sets, the schemes. Like what does he know about that? How I'm more intense it gets. What does he know? What is what does Jordan Clarkson know about to be fair, what does Jordan Clarkson know about playing defense like that? Honestly. You know, what does he know about the type of defense that can swarm you in the playoffs? He doesn't. And I think, you know, for certain guys, it just it just changes the dichotomy of how things go, man. And I, and I feel like Golden State has the advantage to me when they're fully healthy. I Because I think the worst thing possible, like you remember what happened when Steph was out with the ankle injury for like, what, four weeks, three, four weeks this season, like the first one. 
when it looked like it was like really bad, but he was off for four weeks. What happened when he came back in January? He played 14 games, I think, and he won Player of the Month. He averaged like 34, five and five, shot like 58, 40 something, and like 92. That to me is the biggest problem for every other team going into the playoffs. It's not Kevin Durant. It's not Kev, It's not Clay Thompson. It's not Draymond Green. It's going to be Steph Curry coming back healthy and hungry. Because I don't think his injuries are severe to me as people thought it was. It was a freak. It was a freak accident and happened. But he's going to have enough recovery time to come back with fresh legs and ready to play. And let's be real. There was a two month period when he played like thirty games or twenty five games or twenty games or shit like that. Twenty five games where he there was no injury, there was no problem. From late December on to early March, Steph had no injury issues. He had no problem. They held him off for like a week or two. He came back. He got injured again. It's not like it's been the story of his season because he had the first two months when he was balling out. Then he had that four-week period when he was out, came back, bought off for two months, bought out after that all-star break, and he got injured again. So if we're following the pattern, 13 to 14 games, or really 20 games like he did before the all-star break, those games are gonna. Those games he went in and he came in hungry right away. Like that's the thing I don't people. Some people get Steph coming back in the playoffs. People are like, oh, he might not be the same. People people wondered if it was gonna be that way when he came back against like the Lakers, Memphis, uh, the Cavs in January, and the Celtics again, and all these different teams. And his playoff atmosphere. He came back, they played against playoff-level teams, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, I can't remember everybody off the top of my head, but I think Utah. I think, like, all these playoff-level teams they played against. Houston, the one game that they won against Houston this year, Steph Curry was leading the charge. There was no KD uh, involved, no James Harden. There was Chris Paul, everybody else. There was no Andre Iguodala. There was no Kevin Durant. There was no Jordan Bell, I think, either. It was just Steph Clay in old school how they run. And Steph put them boys through pain and they won by like fifteen points. So if you get that Steph Curry in the playoffs, which a hungry Steph Curry with fresh legs, I keep saying it, I said it this year, Matt, I said it earlier. All this is building up to Steph Curry finals MVP. That's all it's building up to. We'll talk about narratives. That's all it's building up to. I, I fully believe this. I'm not saying the NBA is rigged because it's not, but I think that's all it's building up to. I've always felt this. And I think adding the injuries to it makes it sweeten the pot for the playoffs, right? Because now you're going to want to watch because, like, who's going to make it out? Gold State's not guaranteed to win. Could Houston do it? Can the Warriors overcome these injuries? Can the Celtics overcome these injuries? So I think there'll be more eyes on the playoffs 
than people expect because if the Warriors had won 70 games and 68 games and the Houston Rockets had won like 63, 62, and the Warriors would just seem like they were head and shoulders above everybody else completely, you would have no interest in the playoffs. I don't have interest in them like that because I feel like it's going to turn out that way anyway. But people people buy into it. Like, people buy into Houston type. And somebody says something on Twitter, like, yo, like, I watched the Rockets play, and it's like watching AAU ball. That's AAU ball all day. It's exactly what it is. And you know, Matt, you want to know how I know the playoffs are coming soon? Ask me how I know, Matt. How do you know? How I know. James Harden, since the All-Star break, has shot 29% from three, 44% from the field. Below 45% from the field, below 30% from three. Not 40% from three, below 30%. His his average from three this year was like 36%, which is on par with exactly what he did last year. And I think actually a bit lower than what he did in 2015, which is the year people thought he should have won MVP. But, hey, he's shooting 44, 36, 85 on the field. I'm pretty sure if Kobe Bryant put that put that stat line up. Oh, they'd be criticizing. Oh, they would criticize him, right? If LeBron, if LeBron put that stat line up, if LeBron even put that stat line up, people would criticize LeBron too. Keeping it a buck, if Steph put that stat line up, everybody would complain about it, right? Russell Westbrook won MVP last year, right? You know what Russell Westbrook shot last year? 44. What's that? Russell Westbrook shot 44, 35, 83. They said Russell Westbrook wasn't that efficient. How can you be MVP? 44, 36, 85 for James Harden. Goalposts, people. Goalposts. Don't get me wrong. He's averaging 30 points, uh, 30 points, five rebounds, and Eight, eight or nine assists. He's having an amazing season. Sixty-four win teams. Amazing season. But it's playoff time. There are games where James Harden can go five of twenty-two from the field, one of nine from three, or zero of ten from three. But the Rockets win, so it doesn't matter, right? Doesn't matter. But it will matter when your level of competition is high, when people have something to play for. That's the difference. That's why I don't believe in the Rockets. Tonight, there was no Damian Lillard for the for the Blazers, right? So the so the Rockets should have easily Rockets were fully healthy, full strength, right? So the Rockets should have washed the hell out of the Blazers, right? Right. They did. Up until clutch time. Up until the final minutes of the game. Portland closed the game out on a twenty to four runs. They lost, but the game should have never been that close in the first place. James Harden, Chris Paul both came into the game. The Rockets were up 91 to 73, right? There was no, there was no, there was, there was no Damian Lillard. CJ McCollum was struggling from the field. 
Nurkic wasn't getting nothing off Capella, right? So, should have been a little, uh, should have been over, right? Like, should have been over based on that. No. The game was tied. Ninety. James Hart missed clutch free throws to put the game away. The uh, the Blazers tied the game at um. Blazers tied the game at uh. Shit, what, they, what was it? What they tied as? Um, I think it was ninety four to ninety four. And Chris Paul hit a game winner. Imagine if that was against a different team. You know what I mean? Like, imagine if that was against a different team. Then what? Like, then what? If they gave that if they gave that lead up to a to a Blazers team with Damian Lillard, that game is over. Dame hits a couple threes. It ain't ninety four to ninety four. It's ninety seven to ninety four, and the Blazers are up by three. Different, you know, it's different to the playoffs. Like, I watched the Rockets, you know, struggle. They struggled against the Spurs. People are like, oh, that game means nothing. But that's a bad thing. You still want to build good habits up. Like, watching the Warriors beat the Thunder, that game mattered to both teams. And they just out-hustled, out-defended, and they got caught up tonight. I mean, they took a loss. They got their ass up tonight. And there's really no excuse for that. But Steve Curvin said they didn't care. seemed like they didn't care. It was no effort. They just seemed like they just wanted to get through that game and get back home to Oracle. It happens. For the rap for the Rockets though, I don't see it. I don't see it, man. I really don't see it. Like to me, I've seen that we've seen their flaws and their weaknesses exposed. Whether they're having close games against the Phoenix Suns or or you know, blowing leads against Chicago Bulls and, and stuff like that or you know, struggling to beat some of these teams that they should be easily destroying. It's the same thing for Cavs. the same thing for the Warriors at certain points in time. Whereas I would consider the, the Warriors' struggle to be more so complacency and boredom. And it's not like – and it's because you can watch it. If you watch a game, you can look and see. They're not trying. They're not, you know, they're not communicating on defense sometimes. They're just kind of just going by the numbers like, all right, whatever. But then it comes like, oh, we got to play the Celtics. We got to play the Cavs. We got to play, you know, this team. We got to play this team. And they step it up. So I think they do have a switch because they can actually defend. They have three amazing defenders on their team in the starting lineup. So I think, you know, it's different. But for Houston, I don't know. I don't really believe in them. I don't believe in OKC. Um, I definitely don't believe in Minnesota Timberwolves, who I have to double check this. Because it is very possible, right? I got to look at the standings. I got I got to double back and look at these standings. Because, Matt, the Timberwolves needed to win tonight to create a little space between them and the final, uh, you know, the last team that's in. in uh, so the Denver Nuggets are 44 and 35 right now. The Minnesota Timberwolves are 44 and 35 right now. There's a huge possibility that the Minnesota Timberwolves do not make the playoffs. I 
I don't know how I feel about that. Like, like they they play the Lakers tomorrow, right? On a I believe so. Back. So let's say the Lakers beat the Timberwolves tomorrow. This is a Lakers team that just beat the Spurs. The Lakers beat the Timberwolves. They can get their playoff hopes goodbye, brother. And how the way the Lakers That's game eighty. I'll put it like this, how the way the Lakers are, are, are playing right now, especially if well one, if Lonzo and Brandon Ingram come back then Is Ingram uh Ingram is, is healthy, right? Because I think he played Nah he's uh, hurt. A game he's hurt. Him and Ball are hurt. I feel like I thought he played as like a point guard in one game not that long ago. Played the role of the point. I might be wrong, but no. Apparently, he Lonzo he did he did most of the last season. He he did when Lonzo was hurt. But well, apparently Lonzo and uh, Lonzo and Ingram are out tomorrow. But this is a you still got to take into consideration, right? Jimmy Butler is actually able to play, but he didn't suit up. Oh, he suited up. He was in uniform. He just didn't play. But you got to look at. Wiggins Wiggins struggled tonight. He only played 33 minutes. But Jeff T played 36. Carthony Towns played almost 39 minutes in this game. Todd Gibson, 38. So they're going from Denver to L.A. Denver to L.A. overnight. Against a Lakers team that is rested, even, I mean, even though they won in OT. Kyle Kuzma is cooking. Uh, you know, there, there, there's implications there with this game. So if Timberwolves lose, the Pelicans play the Suns tomorrow. The Pelicans play the Suns. So if the Pelicans win that game and they go to 45 and uh, 34, and let's say the Timberwolves lose, the Pelicans would, I believe, almost clinch uh, their playoff spot. I would like a couple playoff spots would be clinched with the, with the loss for the Timberwolves and a win for, you know, the Nuggets play the Clippers on Saturday. Um, the Pelicans play the Warriors on Saturday. The Blazers play the Spurs on Saturday. You know, for certain teams, there's playoff implications going at every, you know, turn. So it, it all comes into looking at, you know, like, who are these guys playing, like, the Warriors play uh, the Suns on Sunday, and, and the Grizzlies play the Timberwolves on Monday. So that's a good look for the Timberwolves because you should be able to beat the Grizzlies. But what if they can't? What if they don't? The Blazers play the Nuggets. You know, like, so there's so much. Like, these last few playoff spots are going to come down to the wire uh, in the West. And every game matters. Like, you're not trying to get in playoff form. You're trying to win. You know what I mean? Like you're trying to win as as hard as as hard as possible. So I look at certain games, like for certain certain teams that have stuff to prove. Like the Rockets play the Lakers on Tuesday, right? Let's say Ingram and Lonzo are back for that game. It don't mean anything, but it gives them a boost of confidence to close the season out with a victory over the number one team in the West, right? So they have something to play for. You know, like, there's certain games that they don't really mean anything. 
but they kind of do mean something. And it just so happens, like, OKC has games against, like, the last day of the season is Wednesday. Wednesday. And none of those games mean anything like that. Not in the Eastern Conference, right? Because Boston, Boston Eastern Conference is already pretty much. much it, it, it's already pretty. Every, much every, every, every I mean, everybody's like, playing for seeding. Everybody's playing for seeding. Yeah. So it's already pretty much set. It's the West where everybody's trying to play for for pretty much for something. And here's the beautiful part about Wednesday, April 11th, the end of the season, right? You got games that don't matter. There's the Lakers versus the Clippers. The Clippers are 42 and 37. I doubt they make the playoffs, right? It seems Lakers almost Lakers are not making. I mean, they're, I mean, they're mathematically they're Clippers. they're eliminated. They're they're already oh. I, I, the, I Clippers, said, the Clippers are pretty much done. Clippers are yeah, pretty much I, done. Yeah, I just don't see. It. So like the Lakers and Clippers game doesn't really matter. The Rockets and Kings game doesn't really matter. But there's the Oklahoma City Thunder versus the Memphis Grizzlies. Should be an easy win for the Thunder, right? Grizzlies got no reason to go hard for that. Another loss helped their tank mode. So the Thunder could probably, you know, consider that a victory. The Pistons versus the Bulls, nobody cares about that game because it has no implications. The Wizards versus the Magic, doesn't matter. The Raptors versus the Heat, that could possibly be a game where you get a preview of what it might be like uh, in the playoffs. Maybe, if, if the Heat fall to number eight. The Knicks and the Cavs, the Celtics and the Nets, doesn't matter. The Wizards and the Magic, doesn't matter. The Bucks versus the 76ers, that could be interesting. You never know how the season could play out. And, you know, the 76ers could move up to the third seed. The Bucks could move up to the sixth. By the end of that, you know, by Wednesday, everything could look different. So that's a game that has playoff implications possibly. But the, but the three games that really – have to be looked out for are the games that four through nine are mostly all involved in these games, minus the Thunder. You have the Nuggets versus the Timberwolves, both teams right now, 44 and 35, fighting for a playoff spot for the eighth seed. The Spurs versus the Pelicans, both teams have 34 um, losses. And by the time this game happens, this could be a make-or-break game for one of these teams. The Utah Jazz versus the Portland Trailblazers. Now, it's almost impossible, almost, but the Blazers are two games ahead of the Jazz. There's three games to play this season, right? If Utah were to win out, they could actually steal the third seed, possibly, if the Blazers lose out the rest of the season. And if not, that game could still be very important for Utah to keep the fourth seed or stay fourth or fifth. Because no one knows, you know, how the rest of the season is going to play out. So it's interesting, man. It's very interesting right now. Minnesota's in the eighth seed. New Orleans in the seventh seed. Um, this is really an interesting time right now, man. I, you have no idea who's going to end up winning. Uh, 
you know, these teams have something to play for. Some of these teams have something to, you know, something to care about. We got some good games this weekend. Uh, Pelicans, Warriors, Rockets, and Thunder. Um, Nuggets and Clippers should be decent. Blazers and Spurs. Like, um, some really good games coming Saturday, though. Saturday, because Sunday is horrible. Sunday is WrestleMania night, and that's going to be horrible. The Suns and the Warriors, Jazz and the Lakers, Magic and the Raptors, Pistons and the Grizzlies, that's a horrible night. But this weekend got some good games, man. Tomorrow you got the 76ers and the Cavs. Um, the, I guess uh, Raptors and the, and the Raptors and the uh, Raptors and the Pacers, Timberwolves and the Lakers. Some good games tomorrow. So this weekend should be a solid weekend of basketball and see how the playoff picture sh- uh, shifts up and shapes up. But I think we know the most important thing about this weekend, Matt. It's not the NBA. Yeah. It's not the NBA. WrestleMania. It's WrestleMania weekend. It, it's WrestleMania weekend. Um, if you are a wrestling fan or if you are a casual wrestling fan, like a lot of people are during this time, this is the one week where everybody who either haven't watched wrestling in I don't know how many years or – who never seen wrestling and take the time to go on the timeline to talk about people who watch wrestling or whatever. And, or this is where diehard wrestling fans tune in. Whatever you do, this is where people tune in to watch WrestleMania. And this has always been known to be a event where it catches the casual fans eye because of typically who's involved usually who's involved in these uh, in WrestleMania. Um I know in the yep. past it's been the rock it's been the rock which brought a lot of people back to wrestling. This year, um I know I know one year it was Floyd Mayweather. I wanna say WrestleMania twenty four. It was Floyd Mayweather. Yep. This year it's Ronda Rousey um wrestling. Be, who, who signed the WWE contract back at the Royal Rumble, which we had that conversation about and everything, which we're not going to go and get back into that one. But um, a lot of there's a lot of good events going on, not just in not just WrestleMania and NXT and WWE, but you have a lot of good indie promotions that go on. You have a lot of you know you have yep. um, Ring of Honor that's down there. That have their what? Their Super Card of Honor down down there. So you have Ring of Honor that's taking place down there. You have um, what Evolve is taking place down there too, I believe. Yeah, the, uh, Evolve is taking place down there. Bloodsport had a uh, had an event tonight. Um, it, it's a good week for indie wrestling. I saw somebody put up saying. People think that WWE with WrestleMania is bad for independent wrestling, but it's actually it's really good, and that's because it is. Because a lot of you you get a lot of wrestling fans from all over the world, and a lot of independent promotions flock down there to host their events because you get a lot of people who attend those events that want to see wrestling. Um, I hope it comes to LA soon. There was an article I was reading how the L.A. Coliseum almost got WrestleMania one year, and then the ticket sales were not good, 
so they moved it to um, to the sports arena. I, I got to send you that yep. article through it. It's it's a, it's no, actually, I, it's I, a, I know a, all about it. I know all about it. It's an amazing it. article. It was like a hundred a hundred thousand seats they were trying to fill. Yeah, we just couldn't yeah. go. And I and I think and they were saying that uh, because the Coliseum is undergoing a renovation right now, where a thousand where it's going to go down to seven thousand feet from a, a hundred thousand to seventy thousand. It's going down to seventy thousand. Mm. So they were saying possibly WrestleMania coming to a possibly doing WrestleMania at the L.A. Coliseum again. Would that happen? I hope, but I think they're going to wait till the new Inglewood Arena opens up to do it. But I'd hope they do it at, at the Coliseum. I would say they should. Why Why wouldn't Why, why wouldn't you do WrestleMania at the Coliseum? But that's, that's me. That's just my opinion, personal opinion on it. Um, besides the point, we've spoken about how WrestleMania it was going to be this year. Um, from what you were telling me, this year matches like Ronda Rousey and uh, and and Stephanie McMahon and Kurt Angle and Triple H, uh, Brock Lesnar against Roman Reigns and um, the Cena Undertaker thing is supposed to be the last hour. Of mania, man. You know what? I'm gonna be real with you. I'm praying that's not the case. I'm praying AJ Styles and Nakamura go last because I feel like that should be the match that should go last. But absolutely, I got a theory. I have a theory on this, though. I have a theory on why they're doing it. We all know for obvious reasons why, but I think the reason they're having this go last is, I think, for two reasons. A, Brock is going to the UFC after this. I I, I, I think that's a foregone conclusion that's happening. Brock's going to the yep. UFC after this. Two, it's because it's Monday Night Raw. Hello. It's because it's Monday Night I think it's because of be Monday honest. Night Raw. They're they're not gonna it's let overdue. Us. SmackDown's overdue for uh, closing the show. Uh, if I if I'm not mistaken, like you gotta look at the uh, you know Rock and Cena closed out WrestleMania 29. Uh, that was a Raw related match. Um, WrestleMania 30 was was Daniel Bryan, which was mostly taking place on Raw at the time. Even though I don't think the brand extension existed. Um, Roman Reigns and Brock closed out WrestleMania 31. WrestleMania 32, Roman Reigns, Triple H, that's Raw. 33, Reigns and Undertaker, that's Raw. So I feel like now it's kind of like, yo, like, it's time to do something different. And there's no match, and I think they know this, which is why it makes it's very stupid of the WWE. Uh, there's no match going to be bigger than the one where, you know, AJ and Nakamura. This is the WrestleMania crowd. The crowd is going – nobody wants to see Brock versus Reigns. So I think you're better off, and I almost think it makes it look better in terms of card placement to put Brock and Reigns 
third to last or fourth to didn't, last. Didn't Honestly. didn't didn't the last time Roman Reigns and was in a main event? I don't want to say last year, but the year before that, the one against Triple H. Didn't people literally walk out of that match? Uh, that was last year also. Last two years. They walked out oh, and so- were bored. If you remember, Reigns beat Undertaker last WrestleMania, and the crowd was yeah. absolutely dead as shit. They were dead as fuck. Yeah, I remember. I remember that. And it was the same thing when he beat Triple H the year before. So, to me, it's like, yo, we know what's coming. We know Brock is losing. We know Reigns is winning. So, to save yourself the embarrassment, it's easier to pick back up. Like, you could you could put on, you know, uh, Reigns versus Brock at 9.30 or so, which is two and a half hours into WrestleMania or three hours, whatever. And at that point, you could have that match go for 10, 15 minutes, make it a relatively short match. Reigns wins in convincing fashion. They're going to boot the shit out of him anyway. So you get, he gets booed out the building, but he gets booed out the building in a match that the next segment could be Elias doing his performance with The Rock or Stone Cold or whoever they want to interrupt him, which will get the crowd back. And then you can lead into Ronda Rousey or John Cena versus The Undertaker and then do, a, you know, another match after that and then lead into the final match, which would be AJ Styles and Nakamura. If you're going to make fans stay up for seven hours, the match you should let them wait for is the match they're anticipating the most. That's just smart business. I did I'd agree, but you know how you know how WWE is. Yeah, I mean, I, there's a lot bad. There's a lot I could say a uh, bad about this WrestleMania, but I think the biggest issue with me about this WrestleMania is the booking of the John Cena versus the Undertaker match. I think it's the dumbest booking I've ever seen in my life. The I think they jacked dumb. all that up. I, I agree. They jacked all of it. Because, because they're sitting there saying, well, he may not come, or they the match may be happening. The match may not be happening. The match may be happening. Well, he's not going to show up. The, like, <sighs> goodness. You, you know the funniest thing is that on the uh, WrestleMania program, <laughs> they have the question yeah, mark. Least, yeah, they, they have like Undertaker with the question mark. Like, uh, it's hilarious to me because I saw that and I was like, "Wow, great way to hide it! Like, great way to hide the obvious, right? Like, it's an excellent way to hide the obvious. Like, oh, well, uh." you know, will this happen or, or will this match go down? And Vince's logic is that anybody who was going to get the uh, get the pay-per-view or watch Mania was already planning on watching it because of the stacked card already. And it's almost as if it's like this is being them, them being lazy because this is a match that people have wanted. It's almost like Vince is begrudgingly saying, you know what, uh, people wanted Cena versus Taker a while ago. 
I'm going to give it to him when Cena's on his way out the door. Taker is all washed up. And I'm going to give it to these people without any true build-up. We have Cena come out and beg for a WrestleMania match, call Undertaker a coward for Undertaker to not show up, and Undertaker's going to finally show up at WrestleMania, and they're going to have a match. And it's going to be like, oh, my God, this is, this is the first time they, you know, it, it, he, he, the effect that Vince is going for shows how much of an idiot he really is. Dude's an idiot. He's a fucking idiot. And this shows, because this makes no sense. There's no positive outcome that's going to happen. It's like Taker is no there was no promo, no face off or nothing. And I and I really hope that they don't go with Taker coming out for some American badass bullshit. I genuinely hope that's not Chris the case. Jericho was saying but I think, Chris Jericho was saying uh something along those lines too. Jericho was saying it as much as he loved the the um as he as he enjoyed that taker, he he said he would feel disappointed if they went with that taker instead of the instead of the undertaker. I agree. Because not too many because not too many people he said if you think about it, not many people or the John Cena fans don't know about that Undertaker from 2000 up until then. Not many fans, if you think about it, not many fans were around for, for that for that Taker. Me and you will remember that. Me and you will remember yeah, that. Yeah, we all will remember that. I remember when, I remember when um, somebody, and it was, this was when I went to WrestleMania 16, when I went to WrestleMania 2000. And someone was telling me Undertaker was supposed to show up there. And I remember just sitting there waiting for Undertaker to show up. And he never showed up. Like, all my friends and every, like, all my friends, this is a WrestleMania story I'm going to share. Because I went to WrestleMania 2000 or WrestleMania 16 when it was in Anaheim. The one that True and and uh, franchise constantly talk about or constantly talk down about. That shit was wack, bro. <laughs> but that I went to wrestle I went to that WrestleMania and I remember being hyped all year about it. Like all I think it wasn't even all year, it was like months about it. But the rumor leading up to that WrestleMania, I wanna say it was weeks. I wanna say it was the it was probably three or four weeks leading up to that WrestleMania, The Undertaker was supposed to show up. Was that Undertaker was supposed to show up at that WrestleMania? He was supposed to be at that WrestleMania. He was was supposed (laughs) to be at that WrestleMania. So so it was was the thing I heard from my friends. I'm like, nah, you guys are kidding. Mind you, I'm like in fourth grade, I want to say. I think I was in fourth grade when this was going on. Yeah. Wait, was I in fourth grade? No, I was in third. I was in third. Actually. I was ago. at the end. I was at the end of third grade. It was toward the end of third grade for me. And so, yeah, because it was because it was before I moved to Oklahoma. So I was in third grade when this was going on. And I remember that. I remember my buddies were telling me because we all were were huge in wrestling. We were like, yo, they were like, yo, Undertaker's supposed to show up at WrestleMania, so you're gonna see the Undertaker. 
and I've seen The Undertaker in person at an event before, but I've never, you know, I, I, I've seen him wrestle and everything before, but everyone was saying, yo, he's going to, yeah, he's going to show up, he's going to show up, he's supposed to be there and interfere in the main event. So I'm like, nah, y'all kidding, y'all kidding. And then I heard it from more people that Undertaker was supposed to show up. And I think you probably heard that same thing true or two at that time, true. But there was two uh, things I heard. Um, that WrestleMania, I remember. I remember Stone Cold Steve Austin was rumored to show up, and so was the Undertaker. See, I remember, partially heard that. I partially heard Austin, the Stone Cold Austin thing. showed up because Austin showed up the next month. Uh, yeah, at Backlash, and then Taker showed up a month later after that at, at Judgment, Judgment Day. Day. I remember hearing the oh, Stone yeah. Cold thing, but I didn't hear. I only heard the Stone Cold thing once. I only heard the Stone Cold thing once. I think it was the day of WrestleMania, because I went up there, and when we went up there, when I got dropped off, it was my dad and I walking in, and the dude. It was it was someone who was um. It was someone who was outside. We were talking about it because we were in line to get in the pond. And they were saying, yeah, and this dude said, yeah, Stone Cold's supposed to show up tonight. Stone Cold's supposed to show up tonight. And I said, well, I heard The Undertaker is supposed to show up tonight. And when I went inside and when we got to our seats, and when we got inside, we saw Doc Hendricks, which is all-white dress. It was like some all-white dress. You got oh my god! It was from Sunday night. He he was in this all white robe, looked like a trying to look like Jesus or something. I don't know, but I remember telling um I remember there was a dude next to me, and we were talking, and he said, "Yeah, you know, I heard Undertaker was supposed to be coming tonight. I heard Taker's supposed to be showing up tonight." And I was like, "Yo, I've been hearing the same thing for weeks now. I've been hearing." Never showed up. Never showed up. I was thoroughly disappointed. It was fun. I had fun that night, but I was thoroughly disappointed. <laughs> and then Stone Cold, the next pay-per-view, Stone Cold shows up. And then Undertaker shows up at Judgment Day. So I'm like, why didn't y'all do all this for Mania? Why couldn't Stone Cold or Undertaker come out for Mania? I remember being so mad at that. You know but what? This is why I can't buy the Undertaker rumor now because of the WrestleMania 16 rumor. You know what? I think. I think I really think that when Taker shows up at Mania, because I mean, I believe, I mean, obviously this is why they're doing this, right? Because it's definitely leading to something. But I really feel like it's gonna. This is gonna be horrible. I think it's going to be a horrible thing. Like, I feel like it's going to be a horrible moment. 
because we don't know what the Undertaker looks like. He hasn't been physical at all. Like, there's a problem with Undertaker coming back and just, like, not having any type of anything. Well, they say he's been training for this. They said he's been training for this. So what is his definition of training? We don't know. But they say he's been training for this. But my thing is this, and this this is what I think. I think when Undertaker lost at WrestleMania 30, the luster of Undertaker and I think the luster of of Undertaker and WrestleMania and him being at WrestleMania just went away. Because it was like, what's the point now? Yep. You, you, you saw Undertaker because of the streak for WrestleMania because of his, his undefeated streak at WrestleMania. Then when Brock beat him, which honestly I felt was the biggest waste, if anything, and, and to this day I still didn't agree with it. I still didn't like it. I, it was like, well, if you do this, then you kind of the, – the, the legacy of The Undertaker is always going to be there, but then you jack up the WrestleMania and Undertaker thing. Because if he's going to lose, then let him go away forever. Let him just be, be away. So what's the point of bringing him back? He lost to Brock Lesnar and then he loses to Roman Reigns. What's the point of bringing him back for WrestleMania? What's the point of bringing him back for WrestleMania after WrestleMania after WrestleMania? For what? That's no point. It's really, it's no point. So You're right. my thing is, this this whole thing, you jacked it up with Roman Reigns. The, the Roman Reigns thing was supposed to be the send-off. That was supposed to be the quote-unquote send-off. But and it was so bad. Because I think, well, I think the Reigns that? thing was so bad. There's WWE, Reigns, and Taker. I, I mean, I don't know. It It's just... It's so jacked up. They, I, I, I truly think they jacked that whole thing up. No, I agree. I agree. They, they've jacked up everything. Here's the thing. For one, here's the truth. Yeah. The reality is. The WWE doesn't know when to leave a good thing alone. Nope. That's the truth. And the thing is, they take a good thing and they ruin it to the point where it's no longer good. Now, luckily for Roman Reigns, he doesn't have this issue because he's never been good. However, uh, for Taker, Taker at one point was, uh, you know, this huge mystical, you know, creature type of thing. For for in terms of WrestleMania, it was like mythical, you know. It's just it's the Undertaker at WrestleMania. Like it's no reason how it even got to that, because you look at Wrestle his WrestleMania record uh, up until like 2005, 2000 maybe 2007 really, it didn't mean much. You know, look back. I mean, did, did you really care about Psycho Sid versus Taker? Did you really care about Diesel versus Taker? Um, you know what I'm saying? Like Big Boss Man versus Taker. 
Did you really care about it? Like, things got a little bit better with Triple H and Ric Flair. Did you care about him versus, you know, A-Train and Big Show? That Did you care about that second match with Kane? No, nah, you really didn't. You know, so Edward Kane wants to take her versus the Randy second Orton. Match with Kane, then, the second match with Kane, the second match with Kane, I'm like, what, what, like, why? That was, the, I think it was because I get it, because it's supposed to be the return of The Undertaker. But I was just like, why? Why Kane? I understand leading up to that, but, like, why Kane leading up to it? You couldn't have picked someone else? There could was there wasn't anyone else you could have went with. You know how it goes. But I think yeah. yeah. Then you have the Randy. You know. And this is kind I put of it like a, this. I I put it like this though. Why? How come he never faced Hogan at WrestleMania? You Taker? Yeah. That's the one thing that, that really never got my... That's the one thing that, that really hit my mind. It has hit my mind several times. It's like, why hasn't he faced guys like Taker or Stone Cold at WrestleMania? Or The Rock at WrestleMania? Why couldn't we get those matches? Well, you know, I think for me, when I look at Taker Street, I realize that he managed to get by with mediocrity because it was easier to promote it for WWE. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was easier to run with it for WWE, in my opinion. It's, it's easier, like, if you put Undertaker against, like, look at, his, look at his streak. Like I said, look at his streak up until 2007. He was never going against, uh, you know, he was never going against top-tier guys until after, 2007 on a, on a regular basis because the streak was, you know, the streak went from, like, look at the streak. Uh, the first victim of the streak was Jimmy Superfly Snooker. Then it's Jake the Snake. Then it's Giant Gonzalez. Then it's King Kong Bundy. Then it's Diesel. You know what I mean? Psycho Sid. Uh, this Kane. Big Boss Man. None of those names, you know, outside of maybe Kane and, and Jake the Snake Roberts pop off the, the screen to you. You know, then it's Triple H, Ric Flair, not so bad, A-Train, and Big Show. All right, no. Then it's Kane again, eh. Randy Orton, okay. Mark Henry, eh. Then it's Batista, okay, that's cool. Edge, okay. Shawn Michaels, okay. Shawn Michaels again, Triple H, Triple H. CM Punk, like Brock Lesnar. It's only been since 2007 that it's been a regular thing. That's just the truth for me. Now you I think it's point. only been 
you know, and, and I think it, it, that's why I always felt like they prematurely ended the streak because imagine if every match now was, will Undertaker ever lose? Like if Taker would have beat Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania 30, then he goes into WrestleMania 31 against Bray Wyatt, that match becomes even more important, becomes even bigger. If he goes against Shane McMahon and whatever, that's 32, you know, uh, you know, it's bigger, it's a bigger one, 32. Reigns versus Taker. Let's say Taker actually beat Reigns. Then going into 34 against John Cena, it's streak versus career, so to speak, or, you know, it just, it, it, it would make this match feel more important. It would give it a build up. Like Taker just shows up and he's having a match where he's not taking TV time up to build to it, which to some people is a good thing. It's a bad thing because the match doesn't mean anything to most people right now. It don't mean shit to me as a fan. So, uh, you know, I don't know, man. Uh, I don't really know what they're planning, you know. Uh, I don't really know what they're planning uh, with this match coming up. So, like, I, I hope Cena versus Taker turns out good, but I'm not excited for it. I'm not really excited for anything on Mania except, honestly, AJ Styles versus Nakamura is the match for me. That is the match that, you know, Asuka versus Charlotte, all right. You know, I'm not. I think that one, you know, I think that one. That'll be okay. I I think that one will be decent. I think that one's going to be pretty decent. And the, and the reason I say that is because they both can go. So I think that match will be Absolutely. decent. I think Ronda, Kurt Angle, and and Stephanie and Triple H, from an entertainment value, it, it's going to draw in the casual people. That's going to be the well, one where it's like all the casual fans are going to watch that and go, oh, I know about Ronda Rousey, but they don't know about AJ Styles and, and people like that, so... Well, I'll say this. You know, you got to look at the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, the Women's Battle Royal, and Cedric versus Mustafa Ali, which I'm not going to get started on because I'm pissed about that. But, you know, those are the three pre-show matches. The matches the pre-show. And then you get into the rest of the card, and people are like, yo, this is one of the best WrestleMania cards ever. And to me, this WrestleMania card is a bunch of guys that should have been in different matches in a particular match. The only match, the only two matches that I think are booked the correct way are the Miz versus Seth versus Finn and AJ versus Nakamura. That's it. Everything else is booked horribly. If I could be honest, the match I would have made um in my opinion, for WrestleMania would have been the match that they had for SummerSlam for the Universal Championship. Braun Strowman versus Samoa Joe versus Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar would have definitely been a better choice to me because then you would have Samoa Joe, even if he was injured, he could have came back a few weeks ago and, you know, entered the match. Uh, Braun could have entered the match. 
and you then you would have had a chance to have Brock have three different people to lose to, and you could go different ways. You know, and I think that was a mis- mishandled booking. I feel like Bobby Roode, Jinder Mahal, Randy Orton, and Rusev was just it's a thrown together match, and I feel like Jinder doesn't need to be in there. I feel like that match is better with just Rusev, Bobby Roode, and Randy Orton. Honestly, um, Alexa Bliss versus Nia Jack, horrible idea. Uh, nobody wants to see that. Charlotte and Oscar was good. It's a good idea, but I would have been better off to me. I, I'm okay with Oscar and Charlotte. I would just prefer Bailey and Sasha for the championship instead of Nia and Alexa. Um, kind of the same thing with Cesaro and Sheamus versus Braun and his partner. Like I don't. I thought we were Braun, supposed to like, get. See, I thought we would have. I thought we were supposed to get. Uh, um, Char or not Charlotte, but uh, Sasha versus Bailey. I thought we were supposed to get that. Well, we were, but they decided to put them in the battle royal, so to to build up their drama. But you know, like I said, WrestleMania just doesn't look that good to me. Cesaro and Sheamus versus Braun Strowman and the partner to be determined is not uh, ideal for me. I think the only match that I'm interested in um, is just the Usos, New Day, and Harper and Rowan because out here they're supposed to turn that into a triple threat ladder match, uh, which could be you know a show stealer. But then you look at matches like at Kurt, Kurt Angle's wrestling at WrestleMania for the first time since 2006. That's 12 years. And what is his role? Standing next to Ronda Rousey, you know, fighting Triple H and Stephanie. Not a match I ever wanted to see. Especially, you know, three of those names were involved in a feud 18 years ago with WWE television. And I didn't care for that feud like that then, and I definitely don't want to see it 18 years later when they're all washed up. And to be completely honest, Daniel Bryan teaming up with Shane McMahon does nothing for me, but I am happy to see Daniel Bryan finally back in the wrestling ring. So it's like WrestleMania is like a car full of talent-wise, the talent's out this world. Uh, WrestleMania card that has Cedric Alexander, Mustafa Ali, Brock Lesnar, uh, AJ Styles, Cynthia Nakamura, Miz, Seth, Finn, Randy, Bobby Reed, Rusev, Charlotte, Oscar, Braun, Cesaro, Sheamus, Usos, New Day, Harper, Rowan, Kurt Angle, Triple H, Daniel Bryan, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn. Just those names alone make it, in terms of the actual uh, talent-wise, it's one of the best cards ever in terms of name value and stuff like that. But match-wise, build-wise, it's one of the worst in WrestleMania history. There's so many other matches that the, that they could have done. It's like they chose most of the worst possible scenarios and went with the worst possible scenario. That's how it feels. So, you know, I, I'm just not into it. I'm just not with it, man. I'm just not with it. Well, so, I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna watch WrestleMania, but I'm gonna watch it like I watched it uh, before uh, the last two years, listening to it 
and, and tuning in for what I want to see versus watching the entire thing. Well, so we're gonna see what we're gonna see what happens. Um, we're gonna see what happens this uh, this, this Sunday. It's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be very interesting to watch. That's for sure. Definitely. Definitely. Well. Well, Matt. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to discuss before the show closes out? Well, that's about it, honestly. Um, I think that's about that, that. That really that covers everything that we need to that we all need to speak about. Um, not much, really. Not much, really, to really speak about in terms of what happens with uh, in terms of what happened with with what's going to happen this Sunday at WrestleMania. Um, is there going to be an eyes on the ring this Sunday after Mania? Um, if it is one, because I don't know how long Mania is going to run, because it could possibly run to like yeah. one a.m. my time. Yeah, that <laughs> so is if it true. is one, it'll be like maybe a, it'll maybe hour long short show if it is one. Uh, but we'll play it by ear, see how see how it goes. Or to be fair, if all the matches I want to see happen before eleven, eleven thirty. Then yeah, I'll probably do a show, or maybe just be an hour long because I'm not going to watch the main event if it turns out how I expect it to turn out. So, uh, well, yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see how we'll, it goes. We'll, we'll keep posted on True's um, on True's Twitter account. You can follow him at True God Immortal. You can follow me at True Blue Larry Twenty One. Um, follow follow us at LTB the Cooler. We'll be back here next week, talking. Um, gonna be talking some more NBA, talking some more uh, some some NFL because the NFL draft will be coming up soon. So we'll be talking about the NFL draft coming up. Uh, that's gonna be coming up soon, and then we'll be talking upcoming playoffs too. So um, till then, everyone, good night. And we'll see you guys next week.